Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a gifted international jazz musician who specializes in the steel pan. Another good friend of mine, Leon Foster Thomas. Hello, everybody. This is Leander Young with another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Leon Thomas, steel drummer from Florida and Trinidad. Leon, welcome to the yeah. show. A pleasure, man. I think you have to use the Leon Foster Thomas in there because everybody would confuse me with the, the singer Leon Thomas. I'm sorry. Leon Foster <laughs> right. Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> so... Introduce yourself to the people, please. Gail, yeah, well, my name is Leon Foster Thomas, as well you rightly heard, and um, I'm originally from Trinidad, and I'm uh, based in Miami. I've been going to school and doing all that stuff, so Miami has been home. Mm. And he's one of the few people I personally know that plays Steel Pan, Tenor Pan to be precise, on jazz tracks, and he is nasty. So I appreciate you, that. How did you get... What made you actually get your, what made you choose Steel Duran to get into jazz? Um, you know, growing up in Trinidad, I mean, that was the only instrument I knew how to play. Well, melodic instrument I knew how to play. I played African drums before, but I didn't have like a piano teacher or, or, or someone to teach me horns or whatever. Um, so music education for me, I wouldn't say for everybody else. I mean, there were people who could have afforded it, but, um, I couldn't afford that. And I wasn't, you know, exposed to music like that before. So the steel pan is the national instrument of Trinidad and Tobago. So, um, yeah, I just gravitated to that. Um, jazz didn't really know much about jazz until really, until I got to the States proper. Okay. Well, this was that. Can you explain to the people at least the culture of the pan down there, like panorama and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. It's a big thing. It's, panorama is one of the biggest competitions uh, for steel orchestras, um, ranging from 100 and, to 120 players per band. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, a steel pan Olympics, if you want to look at it like that. It's huge. It's huge. And how long does it roughly take the competition? Uh, you know, it's, it's during the carnival season. So, um, band starts depending on what type, what the dates of, um, of the carnival, um, the panorama finals would be the Saturday, the, the Saturday before the Monday and Tuesday festival. But bands get into practicing from, to be honest, from October, November to learn a 10 minute piece, uh, eight minute piece, um, by the specific arranger. Mm -hmm. And what band are you currently with right now? None, actually. I'm unattached, <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> okay, no problem. So how did you get to Florida and what made you actually study jazz? Uh, I, I, got a, I got a scholarship to, um, to, play, to, to, to play drums, actually, at Florida Memorial. Um, I actually had a bunch of scholarships and I just went to like first come first serve. And, <laughs> um, because I, 
coming from Trinidad, I wasn't educated enough to know uh, the whole American system and all that kind of stuff. So um, even though the scholarship that I got from Florida Memorial, I've had other offers from like University of um, Arizona and Tucson and Chicago State, but I just went with whoever came first. So that's how I got there. Um, my major was supposed to be popular music. And then um, I just got hooked on to jazz through um, like serious jazz through um, the late um, Melton Mustafa, uh, amazing trumpet player, man. He, yes. he inspired me greatly. So, yeah. Okay. And what surprised you the most when you were in the music, in the actually academic world versus when you went back to the real world after the college experience? Well, you know, I never stopped. You know, I, I just tried to find a balance based on. Uh, I I saw that people would, while they were in school, they would never like try to pursue uh, a career while doing that, and I I th I thought that it would be best while I'm in school to get my name out there, so I wouldn't have to have that issue of okay, now I'm done with college, now let's go find some gigs. I I thought that would have been a really um, frustrating and painstaking time. And actually I've seen people going through that, um, going through that whole phase. So I, I was pushing from a freshman on the way up. Uh, that's the thing I suggest to people all the time, or if not at least major in something else, just in case mm -hmm. it doesn't really mm -hmm. work out. So you're in college, you're, you're achieved by jazz. Did you know the theory and all that stuff or did you just pick it up as you were going? How did it come about? <clears throat> I, I taught myself how to, to read and write music and, you know, I was so eager. I just wanted to, to be into music so bad that I tried my best to uh, pick up whatever books borrowed, borrowed books went and took like, you know, just ask a bunch of questions. Maybe I was annoying at that point because I just wanted to know, but, um, <laughs> Uh, but when I got to college, it was just like more of the, oh, that's what that meant. Oh, that's what I meant. You know, that, that, that whole thing. Okay. And what is something you would tell someone going into the music world as a pan player? Oh, man. Um, it's kind of tough, man, because we're still, we're still trying to forge our way within, within the whole culture of what we term jazz. Um, or just in the music industry, pretty much because people don't see it as a serious instrument, even up to this day. So it's a real uphill battle. So, well, that is something, at least when you were playing on some of my tracks and something I was going to get into more later, but you brought yeah. it up, let's get there now. <laughs> Why don't people see it serious in your eyes? And what do you take from it? Because uh, I know some people who would hear it be like after two or three songs of hearing Panda, it's like, uh, that's enough. Yeah, it, it, it depends. Well, you know, with regards to like on recordings and stuff like that, it's all based on how you record, you know, and, and how we mix it and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, you know, and that kind of helps because the instrument is high is a high frequency instrument. So, so we have to find ways. There's a certain skill in how we, where, where we mix it. That's one, um, two, how we mic it as well as another thing. Um, but with regards to, um, 
with regards to the instrument not being taken seriously because people still view it as a as as a cruise ship instrument or or whatever their view of the islands is you know and we're talking about tourists american tourists british tourists pretty much everybody who's tourist that goes to the Caribbean, they think of the Caribbean being a place of, yes, it's of sand and sea and all that bullshit. Sorry, excuse me. No, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but it's, 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 it, we're looked down on as we're, we're just a bunch of people that walk around in straw hats and flowered shirts and, or everybody's dreadlocks and wear sandals and, and all that kind of stuff. And we play these things by the seaside every day. That's, just not how it is. So it's a total misconception um, with regards to the instrument, but also um, by extension, the people. Um, I'm not saying there there are countries. I, I would say there are countries that that are dependent on tourism and they fit that mold. But in the whole general aspects of everything, if you live in in the Caribbean and and in any of the Caribbean islands, you you would see a, a whole lot of things different. I've never worn a straw hat and a flowered shirt in my life. And I've grown up there from birth till I was 19 years old. So well, have you ever performed on a cruise ship though? No, I've never done the cruise ship stuff. Oh, okay. Never done, never done. Um, because not everybody would get those gigs. You had guys that did those gigs, um, but I've never done it. Um, actually, I got offered it and I was afraid of it. So I was afraid of boats. Yeah. Okay. Well, what is something that people in general misunderstand about the music world? Um, with, as, as with as it relates to the steel steel pan or just music in general? Steel pan, and then let's go into general. If when I mean general, let's talk about jazz first. But let's go yeah. to general steel pan first. Well, you know, with regards to steel pan, people just don't think it fits anywhere because they just don't see it or they've never experienced a proper playing steel orchestra or a proper playing um, individual. So they go based on what there's, there's that bit of ignorance that, that, that is attached to this whole thing. So um, there was one time I went into a perfect example. I went into a jazz uh, jam session at this place called Churchill's in Miami. Mm -hmm. And I pulled out the instrument and this guy laughed at me, like literally like, belted out laughing and I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I'm used Wait, one to One of the it. players or one of the people watching the jam? Actually, he was a, he was watching, but, but he was a piano player, which, which I found out later on that night. Uh, and then, um, you know, he's like, where the hell are you go with that shit? Like, I, I've never forget that. And then, um, I just played and then he came to me and he shook my hands. Like, I never thought that you would be able to play like that and all that kind of stuff. Um, I must note that, you know, pan people that he heard pan in jazz would relate it to Otello Molino, who, you know, worked with Jaco Pastorius famously with the weather report and stuff like that. So that's all they knew at that point. So, for someone else to come up and do the, do, uh, you know, play stuff, it's, it, it, there's just that, like, it's unheard of in that sense. And now to, in, in this day and age, we have quite a few really, really, really good players now, you know, like, you know, Victor Provost and you know, the cat Jonathan Scales. And, um, these are younger cats and you have some older cats like Len Boogsy Sharp and Robert Greenwich. So, you know, just to name a few, 
So, so that's the whole misconception of it. It's just, is that it's not exposed in the rightful way enough as of right now, you know, um, with regards to jazz music, I think in general, it's just, I think there's just a stereotype of what it should be. And I think this by extension, the whole steel orchestra thing, it's, it's a whole another level of ignorance. Um, People look at the fact that you would travel and you would do this and you would do that and they think you're making a ton load of money. <laughs> like, I think that's just all musicians or all entities. Yeah, musicians, you know, we're on a vacation and all that kind of stuff. People have no idea that most of the time you're... No, I wouldn't say most of the time. There are times that you would have to just take the gig because you have to get that gig for something coming down in the future. Yes, to get and you take the shitty pay... You know, uh, it's a great gig. It looks like a great gig because you got some big names on it, but you are not getting that big pay at that point in time, especially for ones who are trying to develop a name. I don't know why you have to go through that. Maybe it's something that they call paying the Jews. I I actually don't respect that that form of stuff. And that's Uh, one of the main problems I have with jazz, the whole paying your dues. You got to suffer. I, I don't get the idea, whereas... I think we're, 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 we're I, well, I don't get the idea. Well, wear a suit. You know how much is a suit? <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, you know, you're wearing a suit for the gig, but the gig doesn't even pay the amount of money that you have to pay for the suit. That, 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 that's just kind of like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? And there are the people that makes that money, but everybody just can't make that money as a, you know, we're not making that money. If you want to play in the club gigs, especially in New York or something like that, $60 or whatever, or a hundred bucks, that's not going to do anything. You know what I mean? So sometimes that's for the whole band. Yeah, man. I mean, so, so, or, uh, I mean, when last the budget has changed, you had, uh, I mean, we're talking economics real quick, like, um, you know, cost of, uh, shoot, cost of living has gone up, but the, the average pay for a musician has not. Correct. In the clubs, you know, so it's roughly three percent. Yeah, so we're not we're not doing anything, and sometimes you know the, the the clubs are packed and everything like that. The bar is selling, drinks are the same. Sometimes and most times, you still have to pay for your drinks. <laughs> so, so, so it you know it's it's some things. I, I think there's just a total disconnect with regards to that and that whole perception as this happens and that don't happen. You know what I mean? So, yes. So as we were talking earlier, what do you think is one of the main problems with jazz in the current form, current day? Oh, well, I mean, apart from what I just said there, uh, I think, um, there was this example. I, 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 we was doing a jazz festival and actually opening for Dr. Lonnie Smith. And he gave us an example where he's, um, he took one of my band members key and threw it to the floor and he said, play that. And we looked at him like, what you mean? He's like, you know, back in the day we played what was happening at that point in time. And he's like, jazz has become so academic, so square that we have lost just all feelings and connections as to, to the audience and what have you. And it's something that I've already, I've, I've, Talked about before with regards to, I think that um, we've turned our backs on the audience 
for a long time ago. Whereas it's like we show off to our buddies in the band as I got this killing lick. Yes. And, you know, oh man, man, check this out. So it's like we forgot that there's supposed to be a, an audience listening to us. And, and, and we want to play in, I mean, if it, if it calls for it, you know, time, whatever specific time signature, whatever that case is, but we still need people to buy our records. And you can't have people buying their records if they don't dig what you're doing or if you're just literally performing with your backs turned to them. Uh, One of the things I personally can't stand is the dreaded seven minute solo. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. It, it, I wouldn't be on that guy that that too much, but I, I I get where you're coming from. I mean, like I go to a live show, and uh-huh. one person who's taking a solo decides to solo for seven minutes, and you see it in the band members like let someone else solo, let someone else solo. Yeah, yeah. I think that I mean, if it's something organic that's happening and that the band is feeling and it's growing and it's growing, you let it happen. Uh, um, as some people in church would say, let the wheels keep spinning. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, but at the same time, you know, two choruses or less is more, man. Just give the, give the audience something. We, we're still here to entertain and just give a little bit, get out, you know, but you know, yeah, I mean, just be respectful to your bandmates and even the audience paying to come see you. You don't want nobody to be bored. I agree. I agree. So the music scene in Florida, I don't know what, how it is right now. How is it? right now and where do you think it'll be in 10 years oh man so the funny thing is when i when i moved to florida and i started playing in the clubs um mike orta who passed away a, a, a year or two ago um i think it's a year pianist he's like man if you think the scene was good now it was better 10 years ago so we're talking <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about i came here 2001 so if you say in 10 years ago, it was better 10 years ago. So imagine like where, you know, <laughs> we moved on. So 20 years now, pretty much almost. And it's just got worse and worse and worse. Most of the clubs are closing. Um, some of the people who are doing some of the bookings for the place has no respect for musicians or even like local musicians. Um, uh, so it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a struggle. I, I would say that we have really, really, a, a, a great bunch of musicians here in Miami and who, who actually moved from Miami to New York and everywhere else and is doing pretty well. Um, you know, we have, we have a few clubs. There's a few clubs that are real, that are opening up like, you know, La Chat Noir and, um, the corner bar, uh, the fish house, you know, and, um, you have this place in, in, uh, Delray Beach called the Arts Garage. I've played there pretty, uh, a few times. Great audience as well. But, um, on a regular where you had place like that was downtown, actually on South Beach at Van Dyke's, which Van was Dykes, like know one of the spots. You know, I was one of the spots on the beach or, or jazzes. Uh, is jazzes? I think, yeah. Yes, yeah. Jazzes have a magazine and a restaurant. Yeah. But there was a jazz club called Jazzes or Jazz Id on, Washington Avenue and South Beach. And, you know, was, those were some of the spots you would go and, you know, you, you'd be able to catch a really killing session. You know, I mean, now it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit here, hit or miss at this point. But jazz is not dead. Let's, to be honest, here in Miami or whatever we term jazz, I would pretty, pretty much call it live music. 
Well, I wouldn't say Jazz is dead, obviously. I have you. I have some other people who've been on the show already. They are strominal musicians. So yeah, yeah. the field is not going to die. So you might not be getting the exposure that you need. As you do. Yeah, exactly. So if you could turn back time, mm. what would you tell 18 years, 18 year old self? What would you tell him? I don't know. <laughs> would you convince him not to do this? Would you convince him to do it still? Would you tell him it's going to be a harder journey than you expect? You know, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say that because there is, there is a great joy when you play. I think there is no other great feeling than playing improvised music that is coming from your depths of your soul. And there's a feeling I was telling my wife about this. Um, what happens when you're playing for a sold out auditorium and you forget the money you're being paid, you forgot how you got there, you forgot everything. And until that, that time, that moment in time is over, you know, and, and it's not over when the show's done because you're meeting the people, you're signing autographs and you're doing all that stuff. But it's when you get back on that bus or, or that plane to get back, you know, where, or the ride to get back to your hotel or wherever you start thinking about, about everything else. So it's very hard to say, like, if I, my 18 year old self, like, dude, you know, <laughs> I think I would warn myself what to expect. But dig a little bit deeper, not to be so shallow with regards to, well, I'm going to do this in the music world and I'm going to do that in the music world and it's going to be great. <laughs> you know, and yeah. not thinking there's going to be some struggles. Um, and, you know, the issues where musicians, very good musicians can't even get a, a, a booking agent. You know, and you see certain acts out there, it's like, wow, how they got an agent and I didn't. You know, and that, you know, I feel just, you that one I definitely do. And you know, again, or even funding for, for, for your records and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think I would maybe dig a little bit more and understand a few things, but in terms of telling myself, don't do it. I think I would have been rubbing myself of, there's just something, just, just really, really, really something about it. Um, just about music itself. I think we're messengers and um, in a spiritual realm, I think we're messengers and we have a job on earth to, 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 to prophesy to the people musically, okay. you know? So, yeah. So if you could make your ideal, perfect project, remove all the barriers, remove all the constraints, <laughs> what type of project would you be doing? Oh man, that's the project that I want to do right now. <laughs> Please tell me. <laughs> <Go>. <laughs> so, because you know, it's it's um, I mean, you you hear all the stuff. If you can get strings, and if you can get, it just depends on what you're hearing at this point, you know. And what I'm hearing at this point is, and I've wrote a few things where it includes a big band and strings and, 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 and a full steel orchestra playing at the same time. I think that's a project that people would, that needs to hear, people needs to hear. So if we're able to get that financially, that would cap everything off and have a recording done properly. You know what I mean? So, yeah. because when you don't have that money, you're unable to do like what you really want. I'll do it the way that you want it. The space done. you're going to need for that though. That, you're going to need a big 
concert hall or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there's, I've kind of already worked out the angles on how I want to do that. But, um, you know, even now, but this project that I have in, you know, this, my, well, upcoming project that I'm working on, it would help everything go the way I would like it to go. So hopefully we'll see how that happens. All right. And what was the best compliment you ever received? Woo. Man, I've, I've received a lot of stuff, man. Um, shoot. <laughs> I'll give you like maybe a couple if I, if I, once I remember them. I met Eddie Gomez in my, um, while I was doing my graduate degree at Florida International. Um, and he, um, I think we, we played for him to open his workshop. You know, the, the studio jazz band played for him and we did a couple of my tunes. And so he asked about one of them and it's like, man, you guys are ready to go on the road. You know, for me, that was like, That was big for me, you know, and, uh, you know, he complimented the piece, complimented my writing, and I was like, man, that's great. Um, Another one is um, I was playing in Russia. I was doing, had this gig with Randy Brecker, and I've always, I never really knew Randy Brecker that well, but, um, but I've always met him every now and again. But this time we were doing the same gig, and I had to... I presented one of my songs to him and he was like, man, this is such a great tune. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I mean, like that speaks a lot to like, you know, to have to, to, to hear someone like Randy says something like that. That's amazing for me. Well, that is always a beautiful thing when somebody established compliments you. Well, yeah, man. Leon, before we go, there's something I do with every artist. I'm going to mm-hmm. name some pe- some musicians from the past and present, and you got to choose which one you rather have. Okay. I'm okay. Album with you. On trumpet, Clifford Brown or Shift Breaker? Uh, Clifford Brown, man. Okay. Saxophone, John Coltrane or Wayne Shorter? Oh, man. Can I have both? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I love I love John and, you know, he's a man, but Wayne, there's some things that Wayne does that I, I'm really, that really connects to me. So Wayne Shorter. Okay. On guitar, Jim Hall or Joe Pass? I would go with Jim Hall. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with Jim Hall. Here's a harder one. On bass, mm. Stanley Clark or Ron Ooh. Carter? Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? You can't go wrong with either one, but Stanley Clark, I saw Stanley Clark in a. Um, in a, in a concert here in Miami, man. Blew me away, man. So, yeah, Stanley Clark. Okay. Art Tatum? Oh, Art, man. The Monk. Monk every day. Monk every day. All day, every okay. day. Joe Jones or Chick Webb on drums? Joe, jo- Philly Joe Jones. Yeah? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, hey, <laughs> can't go wrong. I mean, I love Chick Webb, but yeah, Philly Joe. You know, Percussion is deep down also. So yeah, I'm definitely going with that one too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leon, let everyone know where to find your stuff, your website, your handles, and tell them your last project because I know you're working on a new one. Yeah. Well, you know, most of my stuff, you can find it on my website, leonfosterthomas.com. And um, yeah, you would find music, um, my upcoming gigs, whenever we're able to get those back. Um <laughs> 
my last record actually you could go um it's it was released on the rope on the ropadope label um metamorphosis which is the the current album that we have out there and um you could find it on bandcamp or just even on the website there's all the links there again that's leonfosterthomas.com is your stuff on spotify mm-hmm. title apple music any of that stuff yeah yeah it's on apple and spotify and i think all those other things that we have no idea that they're on um, that i got stories of that i'll tell you about yeah, that yeah man i mean that's something else <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. uh, but you know, like my, you know, my Facebook page, you know, I think Leon Foster Thomas on Facebook and Instagram and all that, we're trying to like, you know, build up the followers and sing and what have you. So, yeah. Well, definitely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Leander Young and thank you for listening to another episode of Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, man. Thanks. Ben. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Improv Exchange. Hope to see you back next time.